0: Welcome to SICKcast, brought to you by Sikh Research Institute, illuminating every path.
1: Introducing Pagame Goya, Expression of Love, new translations of a selection of ghazals from Lal Goya. Today's podcast begins with the recitation of Lal's ghazal in Persian, followed by a new English transcreation the result of a unique collaboration between Dr. Fatima Fayaz and Dr. Nadra Khan of Lahore University of Management Sciences, Daman Breed Singh, writer and graduate student, and Inni Kaur of Sikri, followed by a discussion between Daman and Inni about the beauty of the ghazal and the transcreation process.
2: زفیز مقدمت ای آب روی فصل بحار جهان چو باغ ارم پر شده است از گلزار تبسم تو جهان را حیات می بخشد قرار دیده ی صاحب دلان پر اسرار به غیر عشق خدا هیچ اشق قائم نیست به غیر عاشقی مولا همه فناپندار به هر طرف که نگاه کنی روان بخشی نگاه توست که در هر طرف بود جاندار خدا که در همه حال است حاضر و نازر کجاست دیده که بیند به هر طرف دیدار به غیر آرف مولا کسی نجات نیافت اجل زمین و زمان را گرفته در منقار Hamishes oh, in Debovat bandi Yahoda Buja, Kreide bandi Star Jahan Asa.
0: O pride of spring, with the grace of your arrival, the world, just like the Garden of Paradise, abounds with flowers. Your smile graces the world with life. It is the ointment that soothes the eyes of men whose hearts can discern divine secrets. No love can last unless graced by divine love. All shall be annihilated other than the one in love with the divine. Everywhere you look, you grace life. It is your gaze that bestows life in every direction. The divine is always present and watchful. Where is the eye that can witness these manifestations in every direction? It is only the Divine's mystic who attains liberation, as time and space are held in the beak of fate. Goya, the divine slave, becomes immortal, as other than this bondage, nothing in the world has permanence.
1: Guru Fateji, welcome to another episode of uh, Ghazal Number. I, I believe it's Ghazal Number Thirty Six. This is Core in conversation with Damanpreet Singh. Uh, yes, this is Ghazal Number Thirty Six from the Pijnandlal Collection, Devane Goya. Welcome, Daman, and congratulations. <laughs> I hear you are an uncle. So how does it feel?
3: <laughs> I am. Thank you so much. It's good to be back and. It's interesting because we're going to be talking about life today, and it's been you know the last two weeks I've been helping welcome a new life in the family. So that'll this will be fun to think about today with you, and I'm excited to be here.
1: Oh, wonderful, wonderful! Uh, this is really um, I know all guzzles are uh, special, but this one is also quite uh, quite special, Daman. Uh, I know you. You feel the same way, so. But before we begin the ghazal, before I begin talking about the couplet, we have that repeated word in the ghazal which we always share with our uh, listeners. So, Daman, what is a repeated word, and walk us through that, please?
3: Yeah. So this week we have something a little bit different from what we've seen in the past because the repeated. The repeat at the end of each couplet is actually not a full word, but just a sound, Um, and it's the long a and r sound. So there is a rhythmic pattern with the rhyming, as usual, in this couplet in the original Persian, but it's not actually the same word. And at different times, we've even seen the same phrase repeated at the end of each couplet. But in this case, we just have the long a and the r sound. Um, so that's a little bit different from what we've done with the guzzles that we've looked at so far.
1: But we haven't been able to do the rhyming. We have not kept, we no. have not done no. that. We haven't no. oh. even tried. <laughs> on <laughs> <long. laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that actually, yeah,
3: maybe we should talk about that because I think in, yeah, so in the past, when it is a word or a phrase or like a particular tense, um, Like last month, we had um, the same verb ending in in each couplet. Um, And in those cases, we can try to maintain some sort of flow in English with having the same translation um, as much as possible in the English. But with the sound, you know, that's just absolutely impossible. So um, that might be something for... Readers and listeners who have been following along with us, if this felt a little bit different in its flow, uh, that might be one of the reasons why. Mm. In terms of the English translation, I should say,
1: right. But I would, you know, I would encourage uh, our listeners to listen to the Farsi because you'll get that rhythm and that sweetness and rhyme over there. Yeah. Um, even though you know the comprehension is is may not be there, but at least you'll get the flow of it. So, Dhamit, should we begin with the first one? Yes, let's. Okay, so the first one, the couplet number one. O pride of spring, with the grace of your arrival, the world, just like the garden of paradise, abounds with flowers. You know, these are such exquisite words which are used in this couplet. I mean, I know we've translated them and I'm calling them exquisite, but really it is quite exquisite. And in the first line, it's literal. The literal is your footsteps. You know, that has a very um, it has a much stronger connotation when because in the language, it is the when you you enter your footstep and the lover knows the beloved has come. The connection is so tight in you know, in Urdu poetry and in that genre, it's all about placing of the foot. And in the second line, it's in the garden where you have placed your feet. That place is filled with flowers and greenery, and that is continuously happening. I mean, the garden is always, you know, is blooming. But where you've put your foot is that the place is just flourishing. So that has made the garden even more beautiful, lush, and overflowing with flowers. I think the word here, the two words, are gulzar and bahar. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of these are extremely visual representations. We can say, and you know, I can really feel and see what is happening and what Goya is saying. You know, sometimes I feel myself swaying, getting swooped up <laughs> in this emotion and. Oh, I'm, you know, I don't know, am I just being the hopeless romantic yeah. that I am over here? Or maybe there's something to it, or I'm just a die hard, you know, <laughs> one of those, the last one standing, <laughs> who knows. So Daman, so I make sense of this.
3: Yeah, no, just, I, think, I think you've really helped me make sense of it. Yeah, I think the, the, the imagery throughout this puzzle is really incredible. And in this couplet, just you know, right out the gate, we have this really beautiful image of spring and life. And the word Gulzar, as you're saying, which is the last word of the second line, which suggests um, either a rose garden, or if not a rose garden, a garden that is incredibly bountiful and in full bloom. And it's being compared here, like you're saying, to the Garden of Paradise, which is always in bloom, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: so right. I, I think I'm interested also in the, this um, juxtaposition of the worlds that gets spring once a year and the Garden of Paradise, which is always in springtime um, and is always bountiful. And what do we do? What, what are the emotions that come with the arrival of spring with which here we have the grace of the arrival of spring, um, which feels special every year. And it's an exciting time, you know, allergies aside, etc. <laughs> so, so I think I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really taken by this um, juxtaposition of the world where, which gets the grace once a year versus mm-hmm. that garden of paradise, which always is in full bloom. Um and yeah, that this I think this image will will recur in a really interesting way, um, in terms of life and death and you know, what kind of life does spring bring with it?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I mean the way the words are used, it is when the when the foot is placed in that garden, that area has become bulsar. Right. So to me, that is that has is going to be like that in paradise right. because you have placed your feet, uh, you know, your feet there. I mean, that's what I think um, yeah. knows whether I'm right or wrong. It really doesn't matter. It's just a, an emotion and the feeling and puts you in a different mood. So the second couplet, of them is your smile graces the world with life. It is the ointment that suits the eyes of men whose hearts can discern divine secrets. Ah, your smile is that extract, is that balm that suits the eyes of men whose hearts are filled with wisdom." So these are not ordinary men, those hearts that have a special understanding of the divine secret. So then, in the first couplers it was footsteps and now it's the smile. Both physical attributes. Thoughts on that?
3: Right. So as you're saying, there's the feet and the arrival of the footstep, which brings with it bounty and life. And now there's smile, which is the smile, which is an ointment and is also gracing the world with life. So again, I think it's interesting to note that again, we have the world which is coming alive in some way in both of these first two couplets. And then we get very specific here in the second line with the eyes of the men whose hearts can discern divine secrets. And this was uh, the specific phrase, the men whose hearts can discern divine secrets. That was something that we discussed quite a bit as a team. Another way to translate this would have been perhaps um, the men whose hearts are full of divine secrets, which I think suggests something else in terms of, again, like the garden imagery, you know, an image of be- of plenty and of bounty. Um, but we wanted to get a little bit more specific. Um, so we went with those whose hearts can discern divine secrets, um, are soothed by the arrival that happens that is a rare occurrence or an arrival that's like much awaited or an arrival that like is something that you look forward to for a long time. And then that arrival serves as like a brief ointment for these men whose hearts can discern divine secrets. These men whose hearts in some ways are full of divine secrets, kind of evoking again, this imagery of the garden of paradise that is always in bloom. Um, So I'm interested in this, the world. So it seems to me that there's like the world, there's the garden, or sorry, there's the world and the earthly realm. And then there's the realm of like the garden of paradise. And now there's the realm of the heart. And amidst all of this is this arrival of the beloved
1: I mean while you were talking, the image came to you know to mind was uh, it is the lover who knows who's waiting, right And the eyes are just longing and longing and longing and it's that arrival that smile becomes that ointment that suits because your eyes are so tired of waiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean to me the hearts that can discern uh, divine secrets, it's the lover that knows. Mm-hmm. They, they already know the secret, you know, whether it's the, the secret of love. It is the secret. Uh, and so that to me was, of course, you know, it's only what would suit the eyes for the lover. It is the smile of the beloved. And that would be the uh, you know, would be that. But it's interesting to, for me, it is the eyes of men because... Um, the eye can see so much it is the eye uh, discerning discerning eye that knows and Barney also we say say that it's you know um it is the jeweler you know the jewel is there, but do you have the eyes to see it do you know how to see it do yeah. you know the value of the jewel so that is you know yeah. there's a play over here and i I think something like this comes later on in another couplet in this guzzle too. Because I remember reading that, and now i'm I'm connecting it. It's amazing when we speak um, that that other things come up, which when you are doing it by yourself and you're preparing for it, you don't have those thoughts.
3: I mean, this is what i I think both of us really value from this podcast. is I always come away just like having a completely different understanding of whatever puzzle we're talking about, even after, you know, we've all spent, you know, the four of us have spent so much time on each line, on each word, but even still, you know, more comes with each discussion and each reading. But as you were just talking in terms, so I'm reminded of the line from Fareed, which I'm not going to quote in the original Punjabi, but the line that translates something like, um, you know, don't touch these eyes. Because I, mm. I, you know, what is the trans? I'm not going to do the translation justice, but in effect, you know, don't touch these eyes because I want, you know, I have the desire to see the beloved again. Um. So, and then we've seen this I, a lot I, now that I think of it. In terms of the eyes and the heart, are mm. these two images that Nansal returns to over and over again? Um. Mm-hmm. And I'm also reminded of this short thing that I'll read. Um. But we'll add a citation to this, but I'm reminded of this small passage that someone had sent me, um, called The Vastness of the Heart. Mm -hmm. And it says, I saw him on the streets of the Hidden with something in his hand. I said, My God, what is this? He said, Your heart. I said, Has my heart such a station that it lies in your hand? He gazed at my heart, and it was like something folded up, so he spread it out. And my heart covered the space from the throne to the earth. I said, This is my heart. He said, this is your heart, and it's the vastest thing in existence. He took it as it was still in his hand to the angelic regions, and I went with him until I reached the treasury of the hidden of the hidden. I said, where are you taking it? And he said, to the world of eternity, so that I may look in it and create the wonders of reality in it and forever manifest myself in it with the attribute of divinity.
1: Hmm. Lovely. And the heart is so vast, and the eyes and see. You know, while when you were reading, um, when you were talking about Farid um, in the in the opera Sony and Mahibal, and it's when uh, Sony is is in the river in the Chenab, she's dying, and she's plunged she's plunging and she's drowning. For our readers, for our listeners, Sony and Mahival is one of the love love uh, stories of Punjab, epic love stories. And Sony goes across the Chenab every night to meet Mahival. This particular night, it's very stormy. Uh, she goes into dives into the Chenab, and the uh, the clay part, the earthen part that she uses to lift lift her starts to disintegrate. Um, and she then calls out to the elements and she speaks to the fish and she says, you can take every part of my body and devour it. I care not, but leave my eyes because in my eyes resides my And, you know, and so the eyes are so special um, in every part of the poetry that, um they hold something such, they hold such a treasure. And they're used with such care in in Urdu and, and Persian and even in Punjabi poetry, you know, they're used mm-hmm. with care. Yeah, but it is the ointment that suits the eyes of men whose hearts can discern divine secrets. And what if I said it is the ointment that soothes the eyes of lover whose hearts hold their love in secret. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
3: it's the eyes that need the ointment, right? I mean, I think this is something that is, you know, I think maybe in, in our, you know, one, yeah, it's not the heart, the broken heart that needs, it's, you know, it's actually the eyes.
1: It is the eyes because they are waiting yeah, for for that and they already know the you know they know the secret is there they know they are waiting for that arrival for that longing for that grace for whatever that is. I mean the next couple uh, couplet Th is probably one of my favorites. No love can last unless graced by divine love. All shall be annihilated other than the one in love with the divine. And here, you know, the word ishq was used. Is used, and mm-hmm. when the four of us were translating this and working on this, Nadra said something, um, which, which made me pause because when we translate ishq into love, we actually narrow it, uh, because ishq has its own story, which the word love does not and cannot capture. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, and that's the. And that's the language, and that's the, um, you know, the, the, what every language has certain words that are, that carry so much with them. And, and I remember Nadra saying this love is another bird, Ishk is something else. Mm -hmm. And that made me really think. um, So I went on a search. I asked a couple of my friends, um, you know, Urtu-speaking friends, friends who love uh, poetry, like, what is Ishq to you? Tell me what is it? Um, they were lovely conversations. I'm just going to you know, give give you what they said. They said, literally, it's translated, it means love. But Ishq is, um, but the word love, they said, does not carry the intensity, the madness, and the poetic depth of ishq. Mm-hmm. Ishq is love at its finest, both in terms of aesthetics and impact. And uh, they were saying, you know. Then they said, you know, any without ishq, there would be no guzzles, those beautiful poetic gems. Without ishq, there's no shairi, no poetry. Without ishq, there are no poems, no short stories, no art within the realm of Urdu poetry. Ishq is where all art is born. Ishq is where all art goes, goes to die. So this, you know, I loved that where they said, you know, it is everything grows from there, comes from there, and everything gets immersed in there. And then this is what I read. Um, Ishq is the purest manifestation of all human emotions. It is the peak, the ultimate high, the essence of our emotional core. Um, I, you know, I guess no wonder poets blame Ishq for the creation of this universe and for the destruction of it as well. Right. So, I, you know, Ishq is a force I know to reckon with. And it's, um, you know, often, often, many times, and I cannot say this enough, life-altering or destroying depending on who you ask. You know, it's a force which enters you. It's like an earthquake. And 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 the tremors continue to rock your life after the event. But it is, make no mistake about it, when it enters your life, you know it has entered. And all your, you know, these petty boundaries you've made among with yourselves and these packs that you've made with yourself that you must do this and that. They literally go out of the window. Um, But you know what made me really pause was the next thing. It doesn't matter if our Ishq leads us to that zenith or not. It doesn't matter whether our Ishq happens to be for our God, for our beloved, for our family, for our work, for our art. What matters is that we lose ourselves to the depths of our ishq and let it define our lives, our very being. And more often than not, that alone is enough. And our ishq can only be one. There cannot be multiple ishqs Can there be multiple loves? Now tell me, Daman, does our word love cover even a smidgen of that what I have described? You know, honestly, I know I went overboard in explaining the depth of the word ish, but I think that's what happens when we get into these guzzles and certain words. You know, you you just feel that you need to delve into them. I think I could do I write an essay on this word. And I think maybe I will at some point. I, I don't know who will publish it. <laughs> but, but the thought yeah, no. is there.
3: I think, I think you should. I think that... Right. I think this is something that we've, um, it's a hard thing to have to translate into English because I think English just doesn't work at a lot of levels in terms of the beauty of the Persian um, and also the beauty of you know various other languages in the world that have much more um, nuanced ways of thinking about something like love. But right. Um, We've noted this, I think, with the word beloved, you know, we've translated the word, but so many different words in the Persian as beloved, right? yar, or dost or Dilruba or whatever, right? We've had we've had so many, and each of these means something so so specific. And I think what you're explaining is really helpful in terms of, you know, what does ishq mean? Why is he using the word ishq here and not any other word, you know, any of the other words he has access to in Persian for love? And i think that's really you know again that's just something that's not going to come through in a translation um which is one of the um one of the tragedies of translation is you know all of that
1: it, you know I, I read somewhere that ishq like there are seven stages of ishq and the first one is attraction if i'm correct in uh, infatuation then there's love, I think then there is um re- devotion, respect, and I think the last one i I'm not, there's madness somewhere in there, and the last one is death, right, and that made me like death, yes. and then in this one, when I read that, you know it it's when I read it first, it was like, ooh, and then it made sense, yeah. But there is a dying, there's
3: a dying. Well, I think I'm kind of, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. So I think there's two things here that I'm interested in. Well, there's lots that I'm interested in, but two things that I would want to note. The annihilation and destruction thing is interesting. And later, I think in the last couplet, we'll see, um, we'll see the invocation of bandagi, which we've translated as bondage. And we've had it also in the past. In the first where we translated it as reverence-bondage. hyphen mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as two different stages that you've just named of ish, you know, are coming up in the scuzzle in different couplets, which I think is really interesting. But the other thing that I think is interesting, specific to these two lines, is that in the first couplet, no love can last unless graced by divine love we have in some way kind of a hierarchy of loves, right? So we have, he's using the same word importantly for the English speakers among us to know that it is ish in both cases, but it's love of the divine or khuda is the word he uses here. So one could say, you know, love of God and love, you know, so it's ish khuda and ish. Um which we've translated as love and divine love. So there's, in addition to all of the complexity that you're pointing out, there's even further complexities introducing us by this distinction between there's a particular kind of divine love and there's other, all these other kinds of love. So there's like so many layers in addition to the, you know there's the seven stages and then on top of the seven stages, there's like even multiple types of Ishq that he's pointing out. Um, and all shall be annihilated you know if that divine love isn't there and here it's ashik is the word he uses which is literally lover um and we've translated it as the one in love so we have ishk and then the one who is performing the love is the ashik in the second line but all those who don't are not in love with the divine don't have this divine love are not lovers of the divine are annihilated regardless of the nature of this other kind of love. The way in which he's playing with the word ishq and has it in two different forms, and then "ashiq" as the lover, I think is really interesting.
1: So, I mean, there is a thought that when you are in love with divine, in, you know, that divine love, and when that love, when divinity enters your love. So the two things, you know, I wanted to, to share yeah, I, with you. You be, it's eternal. Right. So, you know, you the, the part of, of dying doesn't enter, it becomes eternal. That love becomes eternal. You become eternal. It's your consciousness and it's it's there. But it's very interesting the way he is using it. And then you know, I, I think it sounds much better in Farsi um than what we have. Ours is still, I feel it's it's closing in, it's not allowing it to breathe that. You know, the imagination is not working in English, while in the Farsi it was working very well. Yeah. At least I thought so, too.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like a really nice parallel structure right? Um, in in the original. And like if we were to do a word for word translation, we would also switch the order. So it would say, you know, the love of the divine or love of God or divine love comes first. And then the other love comes second, given the grammatical structure. But that structure doesn't quite work in English.
1: Right. So then in the fourth couplet, everywhere you look, you grace life. It is your gaze that bestows life in every direction. Can you feel the beauty in this couplet? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's you now, it's again, you're looking, you're looking, you're gracing life. It's just your look that gives life in every direction. How powerful is that?
3: Yeah. And so we've had now the arrival with the footsteps, Mm -hmm. the smile, and now we Mm -hmm. have the gaze Mm -hmm. and the eyes um, of the beloved and not the eyes of the lover. Or the gaze of the beloved and not the gaze of the lover in this case. Honestly, if I'm honest, reading these couplets about springtime and the gracing of life and bounty, as we live through like one of the worst heat waves recorded ever in thousands of generations over the past couple of weeks across the world. I mean, I'm in New York and we had a heat wave, but you know, the roads melting in the Pacific Northwest and like half of Canada's trees burning. Um it makes me wonder, you know, it, I, I, it's a difficult thing to be reading these lines and not think about the, the catastrophes that we're living through and kind of the ways in which what would it be to actually like recognize, recognize and be in line with the arrival of or the footsteps of or the smile of the beloved who is the one that's bestowing life in every direction, as he puts it in this line, Right. So that's kind of what i was trying to think about you know what you know what kind of love is it you know if we wanted to go back to the question of ish what kind of love is required right for us to actually be in a world where we're like accepting the grace of life and accepting the grace of bounty that is like part of the world in which we live but is actively being decimated so this is the word which is you
1: know or oh, which comes up in Asakibar, right? We we use the word awe oh, inspiring, awe, oh, uh, because it's good when we think of things which are which we consider good, you know, the blooming of the flower, um, you know, the gorgeous, uh, you know, the sunset and all. But awe oh is also used when there is destruction. You know, Mm -hmm. to be in awe of, of an acceptance. So there's that acceptance which is there. And when this was actually, I hadn't thought about that. It was when you were saying, you know, what kind of that? It was to accept the awe of every you know, and be in awe, because that's what it is. Bismarck, be in awe of everything that was happening and the acceptance of the command, a capital C as we call it at Sikri. That is it. So, Daman, there was this word in this this couplet, which I thought, uh, you know, we went back and forth with the word baksh. I think that's the word. Do you want to just take our listeners to, you know, the different meaning of that word and how we chose uh, grace?
3: Yeah. So here we have baksh, bakshi at the end of the line. Um, The first line, I should say, which we have here as you grace life. Um, And this is, of course, a word that comes from the Persian. And we also have in Punjabi and other South Asian languages, it comes up in Gurbani. And there's, I think so many connotations of this word Um, and grace, you know, we could go back, we could continue to go back and forth, but I think there's a connotation of mercy and um, the state of being merciful that comes with the idea of um, baksh. And then I think there's also a suggestion of bestowing and providing and, you know, even kind of forgiving. Um, so, there are so I think there's so many different layers to the word. And again, it's one of these words that um, just doesn't have quite a perfect translation in English. We've went with grace, I think both for, in terms of the pace of the couplet, um, but also in terms of, you know, capturing, I think grace is a word that's broad enough in English that it actually captures some of these different meanings. Mm-hmm. Um, and grace itself is a word that um, in English, I think I often, um, you know, when I see the word grace, I often pause and think about, you know, what exactly does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, th- it is something that one could think about, you know, everywhere you look, um, you forgive life is a very different potential, a potentially very different line from you grace life. Yeah. That's something that, you know, Different people might have different interpretations.
1: Of. Right, 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 right. So we move to the fifth couplet. The divine is always present and watchful. Where is the eye that can witness these manifestations in every direction? Again, we have the eye, right? And and this couplet actually reminds me of that of what we you know grace is always present. Are you receiving it? Do you feel it? And, you know, people always say, well, you know, bakshish, when when it is. No, the divine is always present. It's always that. Do you feel the presence? Are you living in the presence? Uh, is You know, in, in that moment. And this one, particularly this couplet, reminded me of the Sakhi of Guru Nanak Sahib and Pai Mardana, where he sends Pai Mardana to the town with that ruby. And, you know, Mardana goes to shop after shop and they give him nothing and they call it a stone and they give him nothing until he goes to this one person. And this one person says, keep the rubies. I think Sialis Rai, Sialis Rai, he says, keep the ruby and he gives him money. He says, thank you for, for, you know, uh, for me viewing this. Because that was the eye that could see. That was the eye that could, could, could put a value to what it was seeing. So the divine is all around us. Do we have the eyes? Are we seeing that manifestation of creation all around us?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: There's the question again of,
3: of sight and the ability to see, um, there's, Two aspects of the question of sight that we've seen now, twice, you know, repeatedly in this puzzle. There's the eye of the lover, or the eye who seeks the lover, the eye who of the hearts that are of the men that are full of secrets of divine secrets, and then there's the gaze of the divine, the beloved. Um, in the previous line, where we've seen the gaze of the divine, it's the gaze that bestows life in every direction. And here, once again, we have this idea of the divine's gaze is always present and always watchful. And the question you're posing is, you know, are we present to or are we able to witness? Are we able to recognize and be in awe of creation and be in line with capital C command and recognize capital C command as always and all around us? The question that's being asked in the second line is really interesting because it's the question is where, you know, not what is or whose is it? The question is, where is the eye? Is, you know, so I think that's kind of, in, I don't know what to make of that, but that's kind of intriguing. Um, that he's kind of searching for the eye. where is the eye? Is it, you know, does it belong to the men who can just, you know, whose hearts are full of secrets and so, and so on. The other thing that comes to mind with, this line, and again, you know, not to bring it back, but it's impossible not to bring it back to like the present catastrophes, is that it does seem to me that there's, you know, so there's in the, in Guzzle 30, which we did last month, there's a line about the um, value of a thousand heavens
1: mm-hmm.
3: being not even worth half a grain of barley because where we are is beyond even the reach of monarchs. I think that's closest to how we translated it. Right. And I want you know, and I wonder, you know, if Nanzal was writing today. This is kind of the question that we were trying to ask last month, um, for those who might have listened to the podcast, is, you know, what does he mean by a grain of barley, which arguably does isn't worth much, and a thousand heavens arguably are worth, you know, lots and lots and lots. Um, put for the kings or whatever, you know, for the monarchs about whom he writes the grain of barley is worth so much that they're missing the thousand heavens. They're missing, you know, the need to go to the dust, you know, become become the dust of the threshold of the divine or of the beloved. Um, so I'm just curious, is a grain of barley, you know, oil, you know, crude oil or whatever in the present day in terms of the way in which we treat the earth. And it's all, you know, it's entirely about extraction and exploitation rather than being in awe and recognizing that the divine is always present and watchful and being in awe of the divine's creation. You know, the way in which we live in the world, you know, from everything from the polluted cities we live in to like the mass destruction, you know, the ocean was on fire this past week. (laughs) This is early, I should say, we're recording this in early July. I'm sure when this goes up in two, three weeks, you know, there's other catastrophes that have like blown our minds. Um, and we've even forgotten that the ocean was on fire in early July.
1: And that's why I'm the hopeless romantic. <laughs> none of these thoughts enter <laughs> me when I'm reading Painandlal. Like, I can assure you that. It is Painandlal and myself, and we are on a different plane altogether. <laughs> There's none, none of this what's happening. For me, it is like, you know, when I translate, when you were saying, where is that I? That can see, that can witness this manifestation. It really is, if I speak to myself, you know, you know that the divine is always present in any core, but where is that eye that Mm -hmm. can witness this? And it's basically a question to myself. Like, you haven't sharpened that eye, you don't even know what to look for. Um, And therefore, while you know it intellectually, you cannot see it. I mean, we say these things, but until we don't experience it, you know, we do, it doesn't enter our consciousness, and that's what it is. Oh, the hopeless romantic and the pragmatic.
3: <laughs> well, <Wow>, that's <laughs> <should be>, <laughs> that the name of our podcast. <laughs>
1: Uh, the next one, right? <laughs> who will listen? I don't know. I mean, everyone is very kind because they think they're getting a little bit of Painandla, but who knows what they're getting. <laughs> righty. So we move to couplet number six. This is under the guise of Painandla. We're having these conversations. <laughs> uh, so funny. couplet, yes, a wonderful excuse. But honestly, them and I've had the best time. With these girls, they really have stretched and really um, enriched my life. And when I'm working with them or they are working with me, it slows you down. It makes you pause and just sometimes smile and sometimes wonder, like, why am I not thinking like that? That thought just transports you and that's the power of the word. You know, it can still move you centuries later.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So the couplet number six. It is only the divine's mystic who attains liberation. As time and space are held in the beak of fate. F-A-T-E. As time and space are held in the beak of fate. Do you want to unpack this for us, Daman?
2: (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah this was a hard one i want to start with um the formulation of the divine's mystic um who is able to attain liberation it's a formulation he's not using the same he's not using the word ashik anymore he's using the word mystic he's not using the word lover he's using the word mystic arguably you know talking about the same person or whatever the same type of person but i want to point that out. In the second line, you have time and space are held in the beak of fate. So we have here a sense of fate in the English is suggesting some sort of like predestination, right? There's some sort of like predictability to, you know, fate suggests destiny, fate suggests that there's something that's, you know, somewhat predictable, perhaps. At least how I'm understanding it in English. And time and space are wrapped up in more than wrapped up, are like entirely in the control of fate. And it seems to me that to recognize that the divine is always present and watchful, to recognize the grace of the arrival of the footsteps of the divine, to recognize the smile of the divine, etc., to get that liberation, one needs to understand time and space being held in the beak of fate. And I am also thinking about a particular shabbat, where there is a line that i roughly translate based on my limited knowledge, but something to the effect of, you know, one who contemplates time is the one who becomes the bandha, the slave, however you want to translate that. You know, of course, bandhagi we'll see in the next couplet also, but the slave or the divine or the one who's bonded to the divine is the one who reflects on The nature, the character of time. And this, it seems to me, and then, you know, the Shabbat goes on about, you know, the impossibility of knowing all of creation, you know, the necessity to be in awe, the need to be in awe, etc. It seems to me kind of a similar thought to, you know, that which we occupy in time and in space as humans, contemplating the character that is what leads to this what we have translated as liberation
1: Hmm. but what's interesting here is only the mystic is liberated beyond time and space limitation right? right because the mystic is free from the bondage of time and space it's the mystic is already in that space of which was before that eternal space that you know um, in the previous, I think it was in the pre, one of the previous couplets where you are there's a there's an eternality that comes into being, where you are not held anymore.' You're not you're not in bondage anymore. It's that love when that when you enter that divine love, it frees you and it makes you eternal. right. But that it's, it seems that
3: that bondage is what that liberation is the bondage. No,
1: it, and that's that is it, it's yes the liberation is the bondage and that is really uh, the beauty of the word liberation. When you think right. you're really free, you are actually more tied than anything else. Right, because now you're a- actually immersed in that. And yes, there is freedom because there's the freedom to fly, the freedom that all other holds no longer hold you, except this. Right. Except this bondage. Right. Which you have given willingly, and you're a willing slave, and all that that right. goes with it. And then we come to the last one. Goya, the divine slave becomes immortal. As other than this bondage, nothing in the world has permanence. What an exquisite way. I think I've used exquisite way too many times. Um, That I'm getting tired of it myself. Um, It really is. The divine slave becomes immortal. I mean, this is where... It's only when one adopts and embraces this bondage, which you were talking about earlier, one becomes mortal, immortal. So to become immortal, embrace the bondage. But then here, you know, this one particularly reminds me of um, the, in Mool Mantra, the Akal quality. How do you become timeless? And to become timeless, you have to experience, uh, you have to be in a bondage to experience that eternal. Love, and that's how you conquer. Well, I I don't want to conquer. So is a hard word, and that's why time and space no longer have a hold on you. It doesn't really matter. And at the end of the day, you know, we all want to be timeless. We all want to be eternal, and this is one way to be in love. In that love of that which can make you eternal, which that raises your consciousness, that you are, you give up everything, and you really don't give up. It just it it you get immersed in it. But divine slave again. We play, We had especially in today's connotation the word slave. When we've talked about it before in previous podcasts, you know it's a hard word for people to take because. All of a sudden it has, you know, I think mentally you kind of freeze up that word.
3: Yeah, and we've had it before, as you are saying. Um, yeah, I think just would be important for listeners to recall that the context in which Bainandala was writing um, the word bande which he uses for slave, has a very particular connotation in terms of um, in Sufi thought and in terms of even in Gurbani, we see this word all the time. Um, So, you know, there is no real, well, uh, you know, perhaps there is, but we weren't able to figure out another way to translate the word bande into English other than slave, um, But, you know, of course, this isn't a relationship of ownership. Right. This isn't the relationship of, you know, chattel slavery, of course. So this is something that, you know, listeners should just keep in mind in terms of the historical context in which he's writing and, you know, the way in which we translate it in English. Um, But as we've noted with other words in this skazala as well, you know, it's hard Especially when dealing with a language as rich as the Persian in which Bainandal is writing, it's often very difficult to find a word. And then for bandhe, in, in you know specifically, there isn't really another word in English that would convey the meaning of the word. Um, I think I would want to point out, as you've you've done already in is the question of immortality is really interesting in terms of, you know, One, liberation is bondage, liberation is like becoming aware of the fact that time and space are held in the beak of fate, perhaps, but also liberation is the state of immortality. Um, So this contradiction of liberation and bondage and becoming a slave to become immortal, I think is really interesting Um, in this particular guzzle we've seen throughout this question of life and annihilation and these kind of opposites that he's playing with.
1: Throughout. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's interesting the, the way he ends it as other than this bondage, so again, we have this bondage, that's the only thing that's permanent. Nothing in the world has permanent. So it's love, it's that love that is permanent.
3: Right, right right the divine love right
1: so you know i know we we say divine love i you know to me love is when divinity enters your love other than that it's just you're just flirting with it you're not in it and it is when that devotion and reverence enters that's when it becomes love until then it is something else it may be infatuation it may be a whole lot of other things. But love by itself um, is quite different. Thoughts as we end, Daman.
3: This Guzzle is really, I think, I think I might've said this in Guzzle 30 as well, but I think there are, I'm excited to hear what listeners think because this one is, we're kind of seeing so many different sides of Nandalal's writing. Throughout the months, but in this puzzle, we see kind of all of it. I'm kind of seeing it as like a, lo- a lot of the different voices of Dunlau we've seen so far like are coming through in this puzzle in an interesting way, and that might just be because I'm becoming more and more familiar with him. Um, but we have the like very intimate lines in terms of you know the the smile and the footsteps and the eyes of the divine and of the beloved, and then we also have these very kind of broad sweeping lines about time and space being held in the beak of fate and the attainment of, you know, attaining liberation and immortality. So I think this one is particularly, you know, I'm excited to hear what people think and people's interpretations. And as is probably clear to listeners, you know, as we talk about it, you know, we have questions and continue to have questions.
1: So thank you so much for sending us your emails. We've enjoyed reading them, Daman and I. We're, we're quite humbled by your generosity. Uh, you've been very kind in your emails. Um, uh, if you want to drop us a line, just um, email us at info at and we'll get it. And thank you once again. So thank you, Daman. This yeah, was another... You enjoyable, very enjoyable uh, podcast. And I will keep it in mind for maybe you and I can start uh, another one, the romantic and the prama- pragmatic. <laughs> <laughs> we Let's ponder, let's, let's sleep on it, and let's yeah. see where it leads us. All righty. Um, Good night, everyone. Guru Fate, We'll tune in next month for another episode with... Um, Daman Singh and Inicore and by love
0: <laughs> You were listening to SICKCAST by SICK Research Institute illuminating every path